We gather again this morning to encounter God in word and sacrament, as well as to give thanks to God for the far he has brought us, and to offer ourselves, our petitions and intercessions for others to him. This we do with faith, hope, and trust that he is with us just as he has been with us in the past, and that he will never abandon us in the future. Before we go on, I would like to make a disclaimer or apologize. If there is somebody with a starter in this church, or somebody who knows somebody who starters, pardon me for what I'll say, it is not meant to offend you or to offend that person. It's just a lack of better word to use for the person I'll use. And the second apology is that this might be slightly longer, so be warned. A woman in Kenya got married allowed 1965. Unlike every other woman of the time was expected to immediately bear and rear children to carry on the family name. She, however, stayed for six years before she gave birth to her firstborn child, a son. After that, her womb seemed to have been crossed again because she kept trying to conceive but could not. When the boy was nine years old, he fell gravely ill with appendicitis which in the late 70s and early 80s was a killer illness in Kenya. Her life was crashing, and her fear of being childless returned all over again. While the boy was in hospital recovering from the appendectomy and a co-infection picked up in the hospital, the mother decided to keep herself busy and went to work in her small-scale farm with some ladies who were working for her as casual laborers. As usual in my culture, as people work together, they talk and sing, and work becomes a joyful occasion. At some point, this mother, overwhelmed with sorrow, sat down and wept bitterly. One of the casual laborers, a lady who had a horrible speech impediment, came and sat next to her, broke a twig from a branch that was laying nearby on the ground, and on the ground drew a cross. She then stood up, and went back to continue working with the others without saying a word. The mother slowly got to her feet, picked up her hoe, and joined her workers. Although outwardly nothing had changed, she had received hope inwardly and an assurance that she could not put in words. To cut a long story short, the boy recovered 
And when the mother went to fetch him from hospital, she had a vomiting episode followed by dizziness. And when the doctors tested her, she was found to be pregnant, and not just with one child, but with a set of twins. After that set of twins, she went on and gave birth to six other children, and she is the proud mother of one of the larger families in my village today. This story has a happy ending. Most don't. We shall come back to it in a moment. In the first reading we had this morning, from the prophecy of Jeremiah, we had the prophecy speak a reversal of judgment. We know Israel had to suffer exile for her sins, but God intends to reverse the exile, restore them to their land, and gives the promise of a new covenant. Israel will become a new people of God in some day to come. They will get to know God to the fullest sense and will have God's law written in their hearts. Finally, and most important of all, they will experience a complete and total forgiveness of sins. Our first reading gives the first sign of God acting to restore the covenant as a repopulation of the lad with offspring of both people and animals. This verse, Jeremiah 31, verse 27, is important and relates to the story I gave in that while my friend's mother was crying to God for children, she kept reciting this verse and claiming it for herself and she claims God had and fulfilled this promise to her personally. And that is what we call faith. The exiles were lamenting in their misery. And being human like all of us, were most likely asking, why me, in an effort to make sense to their situation? The end result was blaming God for punishing the long people, although we do realize the truth of the fact that God occasionally punished the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This we can relate with today when we see the intergenerational consequences on children of parents, especially those sent to jail for committing crimes. The fact that the sins of one generation has consequences on another is, however, not the same as saying that God punishes an innocent group for the sins of another group that is guilty. The problem with sticking to this understanding of generational curses and punishment is that when bad things like exile, like war and the like come, 
People have a tendency to think they are facing the consequences of the behaviors of others and often fail to admit culpability for their own situation. Verse 30 of our text, however, tells us that people will be punished for their own sins, not the sins of others. I, and hopefully I am not long when I say, most, if not all of us, have enough sins in my own life to justify any punishment for, from God. To blame someone else will not work. The old order has been turned over. A new maxim is put in place that whoever eats sour grapes will have their own teeth set on edge, his and nobody else's. God also promises a restoration of relationship with the people, with a new covenant that will be characterized by the knowledge of God being planted in people's hearts. This time will be an era where the people of God will include more than the inhabitants of Israel and Judah. The knowledge of God will be for all nations and languages. We know that although the restoration began with the return from exile and the rebuilding of the temple, it was not fully established until the coming of Jesus, who established a covenant not based on the law or ancestry, but purely on faith in him, whose death paid the price for our redemption and for our inclusion. It is this Jesus whom we hear in the gospel today, instructing us on how we ought to relate with God and others. If we go back to the story we had at the beginning, what the stuttering woman did to my best friend's mother that morning in her small-scale farm, Jesus does for us today in the gospel through the story of the widow and the judge. My friend's mother so much needed a renewal of hope, and so do we. We need encouragement time and again in our life of faith, and especially in regards to prayer. The stuttering woman communicated her message by drawing a cross on the ground, but Jesus tells us a story. Two characters feature in Jesus' parable. A widow, whom we have baptized insistent or persistent, and a judge, baptized unscrupulous. The judge, according to Jesus, has neither decency nor a conscience. He is corrupt and only interested in amassing more for himself rather than serving justice. On the other hand, the woman is a widow. She must be childless or a mother of girls only, and that is why she is appearing to speak for herself in a culture that respected young boys more than their mothers. 
But what she lacks in money and male relatives, she has in courage. And not just courage, but persistent courage. She keeps returning to court until the judge acts, not because he decided she deserved justice, but to spare himself from further annoyance. By giving this story, Jesus was not telling us of how God operates, because that would depict God as a petty bureaucrat or a reckless, abusive parent. God, as we heard in the first reading, is not hard-hearted or uncaring. God is the author of all justice and compassion and a reverser of curses. The person we are to imitate in this story is the persistent woman. And when we are in positions of authority, we should avoid the character of the judge like a prey. In fact, the woman is a representation of God despite her round mouth, all because of it. God is ever attempting to break into our closed selves to draw us into a relationship with him and others. God is shouting to our ears and in our hearts, yearning for justice for those we oppress, for those we exclude. He is shouting to the unjust judge in each of us, and the purpose of our insistent prayer is to wear out our hardness of heart to force us to do justice to ourselves and others. Our prayer is the widow's voice, loud but sane, insisting that things be different. Most of us give up on prayer because we put God as the primary focus and keep thinking because he is an all-knowing being, we are telling God what God already knows, or persuading God to do other than he would not otherwise do, or even attempting to change God's mind. However, the primary focus and effect of prayer should be on me, should be on us. This is because God is constant. God's love is unconditional. His justice is perfect. His mercy and compassion boundless. God knows of our needs way before we do. We therefore ought to pray not to inform or change God, but to change ourselves to fall in line with God. Prayer then becomes our declaration that we want to be opened up, that we are not dependent on ourselves, and that we do not know it all. In this, we need to be confident, persistent, and unconcerned with what others think about us. Prayer will help us check our attitudes, our doubts that make us feel unworthy, and misplaced humility, 
which stretch our faith. This morning, Paul reminds us through his letter to Timothy that we should continue in what we have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom we learned it. God himself, who lights his law directly into our hearts. He reminds us that all sacred scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for all good work. Paul goes ahead and urges us to proclaim the message, the good news, and be persistent while at it, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. The stuttering woman in our story could not let a fellow woman and a mother continue in anguish, knowing there is something she could do. When a person is in pain or anguish, that would not be regarded as, as a favorable time to speak to them about the goodness of God as per conventional wisdom, but not for this stutterer. Her love of neighbor, her empathy, her compassion, her firm conviction, and her knowledge that the God of the good times is still God in the bad times emboldened her. Because she lacked words, literally, she used the earth to proclaim the message of hope, the message that the cross symbolizes. Paul urges us to convince, to rebuke, and to encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. And why? Because these are evil days, he says. The time is coming and is already here when people do not put up with sound doctrine but have developed itching ears and have accumulated teachers to suit their own desires. We have turned away from reasoning to the truth and have wandered away to myths. We have abandoned the discipline and blessings that come from perseverance for quick fixes. When the Son of Man comes, Will he fight faith on earth? That is the question Jesus asks. An African-American singer called Ray Dorado tells us that God is constant. It is us who change. We do not lose faith because God has abandoned us. We lose faith because we forget the constancy of God. And she does it in song, and that is what we will leave ourselves today meditating. The song is called God on the Mountain. Life is easy 
when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But things change when you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith. You are never alone. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go long, he'll make them light. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. You talk of faith when you're up on the mountain, but talk comes so easy when life is at its best. Now it's down in the valley of trials and temptations. That's where your faith is put to the test. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go long, he'll make them light. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. The God of the day is still God in the night.